So two weeks ago, we learned from Ephesians 2, 11 through 12, the Apostle Paul gives us three reasons why we should be workers and not customers. Do you remember that? That was two weeks ago. Workers and not customers. The reasons hinge off our spiritual affluence, which remember we've been talking about, is the abundance of opportunities in our spiritual lives. And they're afforded to us. And we are brought into God's family when we trust in Christ. So we want to be workers in God's family, if you remember that. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. And in it, we're going to find out that Paul is teaching the church about the mystery that he is entrusted with and that we're entrusted with as well. So Paul is going to talk about the mystery. So I want to ask you a question. Do you like a good mystery? You like a good mystery, a book, maybe a, a TV show? Uh, many people do. In fact, for the past three years, the most popular genre of tele television in the United States is uh, drama. Okay, The most popular genre of television has been drama at 33%, which was actually a surprise to me because coming in second was comedy. Now, if I, if I want to watch something, I try to choose a comedy. I like to laugh. But apparently, a lot of people like a drama. And the reason why they like drama is because of the mystery factor, right? So most dramas contain some kind of mystery involved in it. So you know how it goes, right? At the end of the show, you're like, oh, this is just getting good, right? All of a sudden, bang, cliffhanger. And back in the day, which most of you, like myself, are from, we had to wait a week, right? We had to wait, oh, or maybe even at the end of the season, we're like, I have to wait a whole, I got to wait through the summer to find out what's going to happen on this show. Nowadays, you know, they're spoiled, right? They just have to wait 15 seconds till Netflix, like, gets into the next episode. And that's why half the generation sits in their house and just keeps on watching TV, right? So here's the thing. We like a mystery. We like to kind of find out what's going on. So the mystery that Paul is speaking about is the mystery of our spiritual affluence, that abundance of spiritual opportunity that is offered to all people through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, the gospel of Jesus Christ really is what Paul is talking about is the mystery. The mystery of the fact that Jesus Christ was willing to come and die on the cross to pay the price for our sins. The fact that Jesus rose from the grave. The fact that Jesus said that all who believe will have eternal life. Because of what Jesus did, we are offered this spiritual affluence, an abundance of spiritual opportunities. But the mystery goes a little deeper because what happens here is Paul is now called to reveal the mystery to all people. And here's what he says. It starts in Ephesians 3, 1 through 5. He says this, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. Now, Paul reminds them, first and foremost, he is a prisoner because of this mystery. He's spending time in jail because he's going out and telling people about the gospel message. He, being a Jewish man, was put in prison because he was preaching about the mystery. He then tells them how the mystery was made known to him by revelation. This simply means that Paul had a special revelation from God of 
what God's plan was. Some of you might remember that in Acts chapter 9. Paul's former name was Saul, and Saul was on the road to Damascus going to persecute Christians. A great light shone, knocked him off his horse, and basically that great light was Jesus. Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And basically, we know the truth is that Paul or Saul at that time never at his own hand persecuted Jesus, but who he did persecute was Jesus's followers. So we know that God sees us as unified with him because he's saying, why do you persecute me? So then as we go through the account, what happens is, is Saul goes blind and then God calls a, a man named Ananias, and he says to him, he says, Saul is going to come into town, you're going to go to him, and, he, and you're going to lay hands on him, and he is going to receive his sight. Ananias was like, wait, Saul, the guy who kills Christians, the guy who gets Christians killed? And, and Jesus says, yep, him. And he is going to be the messenger to the Gentiles. And you know what else? Paul actually wound up getting a promise from God that not many people are claiming or hanging on their walls. But basically what Jesus said about Saul was, I will show him how much he will suffer for my name. Think about that for a second. Now he becomes the Apostle Paul, right? Changes his name to Paul. And he will now live a life of suffering for the name of of Jesus. So then Paul goes on back to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3. It says this, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has been now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So now Paul is still talking about this mystery and he says, so Basically, Paul is not saying this is a new mystery as much as it's something that he has now gained insight into. It's also something that was not clear to other generations. And the reason why it wasn't abundantly clear yet was because Jesus hadn't come to earth yet. So now that being said, it was revealed and it's revealed in Paul's day and it's revealed to us today. You see, in Paul's day, it was revealed through the apostles. Remember I said a few weeks ago, the apostles were actually living out and recording the New Testament. So think about this for a second. When this was all happening, they couldn't be like, oh, in Ephesians 3, it tells us about this, okay? They were living Ephesians 3. So think about this. So it was being revealed through the very people that were living it out. So Jesus was revealing himself, and they were living it out, and they were penning it. Before Jesus came, the mystery was revealed through the prophets. That's what the scripture says. These were the people that God spoke to that penned the Old Testament. So they had the mystery. The mystery wasn't fully revealed yet. Some saw it, and some didn't understand it, and some were really clinging to what is this mystery. So the mystery was always there, and was available, but the people, especially the Jewish people, rejected it, and here's why. Let's look at Ephesians 3, verse 6 through 8. Here's why, by and large, the Jewish people of that day rejected it. it says, 
This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. Think about that for a second. This mystery is the Gentiles are fellow heirs. Do you know who the Gentiles are? Yay! <laughs> That's us. This is the best mystery that I've ever heard, okay? Because now it's saying this is not just for the Jewish people. It is for Jews and Gentiles alike through Jesus Christ, through the gospel message. He says this, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of the power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. To preach to the Gentiles, to preach to all people, the riches, the spiritual affluence. So Paul was called to preach this mystery. Now, all of a sudden, the Gentiles and the Jewish people would see this message as something to both of them. So the mystery of the gospel extends to all people. It is not just for the Jewish people. Now, let me, let me ask you a question. Why would you think the Jewish people would think that they are the only heirs of God's kingdom? Think about that for a second. Why do you think the Jewish people thought that they were the only heirs of God's kingdom? Here's another one. Why would they think that they were the only ones part of God's family? Well, the answer is really simple. The reason is that they misunderstood what God was saying when God chose Israel to reveal his plan, okay? They misunderstood it. When God chose Israel, he was choosing them to reveal his plan of salvation to all people. They were a chosen people to reveal God's plan, but they were not exclusive in reaping God's blessing of salvation to all mankind. So here's what happened. They saw that they were a chosen people to reveal the plan, but then they got into this rut or this mind of thinking is we're a chosen people. And they forgot about to reveal God's plan. So think about this for a second. Believing God was exclusive to them caused them to think they were better than others. Now, so here you have Paul, a Jewish man. He's going out to preach to the people that by and large, the Jewish people thought, we're better than these people. In fact, when you read the scriptures, you see it. Sometimes they called them dogs. They basically thought Gentiles were worthless, were useless. So now Paul goes out and preaches to them. Why do you think he got thrown in jail? Because he was going out and preaching to them. So here's what happens when people think they're better than others. They look down on others, and then the ones that are looked down upon start to hate the ones that are looking down on them. Can you see this happening? Okay. And this is, this is an age-old problem, isn't it? This isn't just Jews and Gentiles, but this is racism, right? Okay. Looking down on someone for the color of their skin. Looking down on someone for where they were born, for what family of origin. It, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, it really is ridiculous. So there was hostility between Jews and Gentiles for almost 2,000 years, and along comes Jesus, a Jewish man, and preaches about God's kingdom. Now, the gospel message 
is really a message of unity for Jews and Gentiles and for all people. Think about what we believe in the Christian faith. It's a message of unity, isn't it? But here's what happens. Some will attack the gospel and the Christian faith and say that it's exclusive, that it's an exclusive message, and it excludes people. It excludes other people. But the truth is that it does not exclude anyone. The offer is for all who believe, for all who are willing to admit that we are sinners. It's an inclusive message, isn't it? You see, the culture thinks and teaches that when you do not agree with a person and you do not accept them, that's what they think. That's what the culture teaches. If you do not agree, you must not accept them. If you don't agree with everything they say or do, you must not accept them. And here's what happens. They apply that thinking to God. So they open the Bible up and find out that they're doing something that's sinful, and they think, oh, God must not accept me because he doesn't agree with what I'm doing. They feel that if God calls what they do as sin, he must not accept them. But the truth is, the beautiful truth is, God accepts you despite your sin. He offers you salvation despite your sin. You just need to admit that it's actually sin. You need to agree with him that it's actually sin. And guess what? He's willing to forgive you of that sin. He's willing to forgive you of that sin and pay for that sin. Romans 5.8 is a great verse. It says this, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If anybody says to you, God does not accept me because I am a sinner, read that verse to them. God is saying, I want you in my family. I love you despite your sin. I love who you are. And I'm willing to go to the cross for you. So here's the challenge for us as believers. We need to love those that do not know Jesus. We need to love those that do not love us. We need to love those that hate us. Because in doing so, guess what? We reveal a mystery. We reveal the mystery of the gospel to them. Think about it this way. How can you communicate the love of God if you hate someone? How can you communicate the love of God if you hate someone? See, our culture lends itself to taking to social media, tearing people apart that don't see things the way that we see things or don't agree with us. Now, I'm not suggesting at all that we ever compromise what the Bible teaches, but I'm telling you that the Bible teaches and Jesus teaches that we should show love to other people. In Matthew 5, Jesus says this, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Clearly, <laughs> this is not an easy thing to do, but it's a great benefit to the kingdom of God. And in fact, it's actually a great benefit to you. If there's somebody in your life right now that you're at odds with, let me just tell you this. Start praying for them and see how you feel. Start praying. And I know, I'll tell you this, it will be hard. When there's somebody in your life that you're at odds with and you're really mad at and you even go to the place where you're thinking, I just dislike that person so much, you start praying for them and see what happens. And that first prayer, I mean, you're going to be like this. 
please, Lord, blah, blah, blah. You're, you're going to have a hard time even spitting those words out. But let me just tell you, this is what Jesus told us to do. But listen to what Jesus said in Luke 6, 32 through 36. It says this, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. So think about this for a second. I love people that love me. Don't you love people that love you? People come, hey, say encouraging words. I, lo I love being around. That's why I love coming to church, right? <laughs> One of the reasons why we love coming to church is we see a bunch of smiling faces and everybody's like, oh, hey, hey, I've been praying for you. Oh, I love this place. You're like, yeah. Then you go to Walmart. You're like, whoa. <laughs> you know, it's like a whole different story, right? So what credit is it if I only love the people who are showing me love? Then in verse 33, it says, if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But then Jesus says, but love your enemies and do good. Lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Man, oh man, this is game on, isn't it? Jesus just took love to a level that it's hard for me to even wrap my brain around. So you mean to tell me, Jesus, that I need to go out to the very people that are not showing me love, that in fact maybe even hate me, blaspheme your name and persecute us, and I'm supposed to show them love? Because for us, normally we treat people the way we feel they deserve to be treated, right? If somebody's not nice to me, I'll treat them like they treated me, because of course, you know, they, that's the way they want to be treated, right? They're mean, so I'm going to be mean back. If they're mean and hateful, that's the way we treat them. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. No, love them. Pray for them. Be kind to them. They don't deserve it. But let me remind you of something. In your sinful state, you didn't deserve me dying for you. But I did. But I was willing to do that. I've extended mercy on you. That's why the end of that passage says, be merciful as your father is merciful. Do you know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, treat other people the way that I treated you. Now, the only way that we could really fully understand that is being willing to admit, I am a sinner and I've sinned against God and I don't deserve his grace but I'm so thankful he was willing to give it to me. And now I'm going to live my life that way towards other people because how else would I communicate how much God loves unless I show them how much he's loved me? And in that, I'm going to show them that he put a love in my heart that's overwhelming and overflowing to all the people around me. See, when we love like this, it communicates the love of God in Christ to all people. But now here is where this passage gets really interesting and theologically deep, okay? Now, you got to bear with me on this one because there's a lot here, and I don't have that much time. So in Ephesians 3, 9 through 10, it says this, 
and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. So now what Paul is teaching is that the mystery of Christ has been revealed now, and he will use the church, okay? Believers in Christ, the Christians, Jews and Gentiles unified together to communicate to other people about the gospel message. But here's where it gets theologically deep. And this is also going to be communicated to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Wait, what? Those are usually verses we read through really quick and skip, right? Because we're like, that's weird. Okay, I'm just going to keep going. So who are the rulers and the authorities? Who are they? Well, they're the angels, the demons, and Satan himself. I told you this was going to get deep, but here's what happened. Did you know that because of the fall of Lucifer, a third of the angels rebelled and now are called demons? Okay, and Paul is going to get into a lot of this later on in this book. But a third of the angels rebelled against God along with Lucifer, and they are now called demons. You see, Lucifer, known as Satan, rebelled against God, thought he could be like God, and in that, he doubted the goodness of God and convinced these angels to rebel. Now, there is no unity right now in the spiritual world. There is war. Do you realize that? There is a war going on in the spiritual world. And like I said, Paul is going to get into this more. Some of you here might be like thinking like, whoa, this is weird. What church should I roll up to today? Well, here's the truth. There is a battle going on. There's a spiritual battle. Since that time, there has been a spiritual battle going on. And Paul is basically going to, like I said, unfold that a little bit. But what Paul is teaching is that believers of, what Paul is teaching the believers of that day, that the spiritual world is actually watching and learning from us. See, a lot of people think like, oh, angels are a greater being than us, but that's actually not the truth, okay? Angels are actually learning from us. They're watching us. Demons are learning and watching, and they're seeing how we act and react to God's mystery, the gospel. So what are they learning? Well, the first thing, the angels are, are observing the wisdom of God by how he provided salvation for people. The angels are learning the wisdom of God of how he provided salvation for people. First Peter talks about this. First Peter 10 through 12, it says this, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ is in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. There's another verse that people normally just skip over. That's kind of weird. But here's the thing. The angels, they observe what happened. They observe Christ going to the cross. They observe the Father providing salvation for humans. So what do they learn from God's provision of salvation to all people? They learn this, that God is a good and loving God. Well, you may ask, well, don't they know that? I mean, they're in the heavenly places. They have to know that. They do know that, but guess what? 
It's constantly being challenged by Satan and his demons. That's the battle. There's like basically a third of the evil angels, the demons, that are basically saying, God's not good, 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 God's not good. And these angels are hearing these, these things, God's not good. And then all of a sudden, they observe and they see, well, he really seems good to me because this is the salvation he's providing. He provides that salvation by dying for these people. Accounts like the book of Job teach us that, right? The, the, the Satan going to God about Job is a challenge of God's goodness. It's not just a challenge on Job. It's a challenge and it's a step to God's goodness. So I know, I know that God is good. You might know that God is good. But do you know that every day that we live on this earth, that's challenged, isn't it? Think about this. When we see injustices, when we see atrocities and things that happen that are just not right, or maybe you just feel like you've been treated not the way you wanted to be treated by God. So you might ask yourself that question. Is God really good? But like the angels, we have the cross to look at. God is good. He's so good that he was willing to die for us. And it's a reminder that he is good and loving. The second thing is that angels and demons that, that angels and demons are learning is that Satan has no real wisdom. Lucifer stepped up to God. He desired the glory and honor only due to God. He fell to pride. That account is found in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14, if you want to check into that. Now the spiritual world, seeing how God in himself has dealt lovingly with all mankind, is witnessing how Satan is not wise in the decision to go against God. He was foolish because God is loving, and God is good, and God is wise. So the angels and demons are kind of seeing, okay, here's Lucifer. He went the other way, and they're learning, and they're seeing, no, God is good. This is the battle. So the spiritual world sees all this going on and learns from it. And they also learn from us how we respond, how genuine our faith is, how we use our faith, how we're unified together with all people who believe in Christ. The gospel message is a message of unity. So now Paul closes the passage out by encouraging them that this mystery is revealed through us, and we should boldly and confidently proclaim it. Ephesians 3, 11 through 13 says this, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you, do not lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. See, I like what Paul says here. He's saying, okay, boldly and confidently tell other people. But I like what he says in verse 13. So I ask you, do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. In this specific instance, he was saying, for what I'm suffering, don't lose heart that I'm put in jail because of the gospel message. Don't lose heart. Keep going. Be bold. Be confident. But sometimes it's easy to lose heart as a Christian, isn't it? I mean, we see the world around us. 
we see what's going on. I mean, right now in our political climate and we see the fighting and the arguing and just, it's overwhelming. And sometimes we start to lose heart. I mean, I'd be lying if I didn't say that, you know, there's days that I wake up and I'm like, Jesus, just come back, okay? And get us out of here because this is a discouraging place to live sometimes. But the truth is, Paul is saying, don't lose heart. Keep going. Expect these things are going to happen. Things, not, things are not going to be easy all the time. Sometimes they will, sometimes they won't. But don't lose heart. People are going to reject Jesus. People are going to reject you. People are going to reject the things that God desires you to do. Our culture is going to move further and further away. If you think for a minute that our culture is going to get better, <laughs> you haven't read the Bible, okay? You haven't read what the scriptures say. Things are going to get much, much worse before God makes all things new. But don't lose heart. God loves us. He cares deeply for us. He's got our back. So believers, don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged. Grab hold of the spiritual affluence that you have because our loving and good God has given it to us in Jesus. So we can share that love with the people around us.